Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and we'll read the parable of the persistent widow. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. I'm reading from the ESV. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the righteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Father, as we come to look at your word, help us to clear our thoughts, thoughts of busyness, thoughts of tomorrow, thoughts that will steal away from your message here this evening. And this is about you. These are your words to your people, Lord. So, Lord, help us to listen, prepare our hearts, make our hearts fertile so the words of your word land in them and take root so that the fruits may be seen in our lives. And we ask these things because we can do nothing on our own. We use strength that is not our own. And that strength comes from you. In your name, amen. Throughout the Bible, in every book of the Bible you go to, you'll find prayers. There's prayers throughout the whole of the Bible. And they're all different types of prayers, prayed by different types of people. Pick a, pick a few. Think of uh, Hannah back there in 1 Samuel. Think about her prayer. Her prayer was silent. Her prayer was a prayer of lament, and she was crying out to God. That was her prayer. Think about Nehemiah. What does Nehemiah teach us about prayer? Short, succinct, at any moment, send it straight to God. So he had short prayers. Think about our Lord. Our Lord went out all night and prayed. He went out all night and just poured his heart out to the Father. Think about Paul. Paul in Thessalonians, for example, he prayed for people. He prayed for those Thessalonians. There's all sorts of prayers in the Bible for specific situations and for certain things. And tonight, what this parable is about is about our attitude towards prayer. What is your attitude towards prayer? 
And right away in verse 1, if you take a look at it, verse 1, Jesus is telling us what this whole parable is about. Now, when you come to a parable, as I am slowly figuring it out, a parable may look very simple on the surface, but it's like looking into a well that has no bottom. And we can only touch this on the surface this evening. And that was the whole purpose of parables. Parables were stories that the Lord told people. And when he left them, there was, it was indelibly marked in their mind. And all they could do was talk about this. It was filled with illustrations to get people to think, what did I just hear? So that they could talk about this. And what Jesus was telling us and telling them was this. It's in verse 1. It's a simple message. Don't give up praying. That's what he is telling us now. Never give up on prayer. So what he's saying is he's urging us to be persistent in our prayer life. Just like this widow is persistent. And from the offset of this parable, right from verse 1, Jesus is telling us to keep on asking. He's telling us to keep on going to the Father. He's telling us to keep on seeking, just like the neighbor did in Luke 11, to keep on knocking. That's what our Lord wants you to remember tonight. If this is the only thing you take from this, keep on praying for that thing. Let's turn to our passage now and see how our Lord develops what he has just told us about keeping on praying. And right away, what we realize in this parable, this story, this illustration, is that there's two chief characters. Verse 2, we're right away introduced to the first character. And what we have here, we have a judge. Now, what sort of man was this judge? He's a godless man. He's a man that cares absolutely nothing about the things of God. He sets his own standards. He sets his own principles. He's a wicked and an unjust man. And this man, he, this man, this character, this type of man, well, he's a judge who has jurisdiction over a city. But who's this man, this judge, really interested in? Himself. And he'll do whatever it takes to make sure that he's all right. And often Jesus told these parables. If you study parables, there's often a thing in parables called role reversal. Stories to actually reveal the character of God from the people our Lord talks about. And here in this story, we come face to face with a grumpy, old, self-centered, impatient judge to make us realize that God is the exact opposite of this man. He's a benevolent, considerate, patient God. So that's our first character that Jesus is using here to build up this story, to tell us, to show us, keep on praying. And our first character, this judge, he's a man of high position. But he has low, low standards. Verse 3. We're introduced to our second character. And she's a widow. 
Let's go back 2,000 years and you know this. Widows had absolutely no standing at all. They had absolutely no rights. And oftentimes they were friendless and they were shunned by society. They were regarded basically as a nuisance. No one would stand up for this woman. She was on her own. She lived a really lonely existence. And her outlook in life as a widow was basically bleak. This woman had absolutely no hope. Zero hope. And as I was thinking about this, I was wondering, what, what, what sort of illustration could I show about a modern day equivalent to this? I can remember my time in India, and I think this really fits in well. And I was out in a cafe one afternoon, and I watched, I love people watching, and I watched this woman who had a broom. And it was a broom that you would imagine in a children's book, a, a, a stick, and it weaved with a, a, like a rushes or whatever it was, a bush. And as she walked, she walked like that. That's how she walked down the street. And I said to William, not William, another William, who was with me, I said, what's that all about? And he said, that woman's a Dalit. Those that are at the lowest caste of Indian society, they're, they're scorned, they're looked upon. And I said, well, what's she doing? She's wiping her footsteps away in case someone from a higher caste steps in her footprints and becomes polluted. Such was the shameful acts of that whole caste system. And it's basically how people looked at widows in these days. They were basically the, the scum of the earth and nuisance. And that's who this second character is. That's the society that this woman lived in in Jesus' day. There was so much contempt towards widows. And what we have here right away is two huge contrasts. Think about it. You have a man of renown, of high position, a somebody. And then you have this widow, a woman of no acclaim, a nobody. And this woman, this nobody, this nuisance, this lonely figure has a need. And it seems that her entire existence was at stake. And she says to the judge, I have been wronged. And I want you to put it right. She's saying to the judge, give me justice. I need justice. And it appears when you read into this that she could not live unless she was given justice. Now look at verse 4. What do you note there? The judge ignores her. He's not interested. He's not listening to her. But look at verse 5. Regardless of his ignoring her, regardless of what he thinks of her, regardless of her realization of how low she is considered, she's a nobody coming to this man of high renown. This wasn't done. She keeps on at him. She keeps going to him. And this speaks of continually going to this judge. 
when he arrives at his office on a morning, if you can try and modernize it, she's there at the front door. Give me justice. When he leaves his office in the afternoon, she's still there. Give me justice. She's petitioning him. When he goes to the shops and he looks over the vegetables, she's there. Give me justice. She's telling him her plight, telling him she's been wronged somehow. She's beseeching him, do the right thing by me, because that's what the right thing is, justice. Can you imagine this judge saying to his secretary on Tuesday morning, who's in my diary? The widow. Each day the same name appears on his diary, his papyrus or whatever. The widow, the widow, the widow, the widow. She keeps on coming at him. She is relentless in her requests. Have you ever had a small stone in your shoe? You know the one I'm talking about. The one that's there, but you don't want it to be there. And you're too lazy to stop, to take your shoe off, to get rid of that tiny stone. But you know it's constantly there and it's not going away. And she's the small stone in the sandal of that judge. It won't go away. And he couldn't be bothered with her. And she goes on and on and on at him. Avenge me. Represent me. Look back into verse 5. When you read into the language of this, it actually speaks of bags under your eyes. This man goes to bed at night. And because of her insistence, he wakes up and he sees her. He closes his eyes. She is there. And he's thinking to himself, if this continues, I'm going to get no sleep. I'm going to have no peace. Now look what happens in the next verse. One day, he says, I've had enough. I have had enough of this woman. Right. I'm going to give her justice. She has been at me for justice. I am going to give her this justice she wants. Not because I care one hoot about this woman. This woman is a nobody to me. But because I'll finally have peace from her. So I give her what she wants. He doesn't care about this woman. His motive is completely him. Self-centered. It's about what's good for him. And what's good for him right now is to get this woman away from him. So he's going to give her anything she wants. Because he wants to make sure he's all right before he does anything. And that's the mark of a truly selfish person. Am I going to be all right? Someone who does things ticking off all their boxes. Am I going to be all right? Am I going to lose out on this? Is there a sacrifice here in this? Oh, selfish people think like that. Look at verse 6. Jesus has set the scene in the minds of his hearers. And when he goes, they will have this image in their head and they're going to talk about this. And they're going to ponder over this. What did he say? Be persistent in prayer. Never give up praying. That widow will be in their minds. And now the Lord gets to the heart of the matter about prayer. Look what he says. 
Look what this unrighteous judge says. And Jesus is showing us that if this wicked, selfish, grumpy, self-centered man who cures for nobody except himself can be moved by a persistence of a nobody, then how much more will God be moved by his elect, his children who cry to him day and night? And through this story, Jesus has unlocked so many great principles of prayer. And he's got his listeners to realize that God is, in fact, totally different to this judge, as I said earlier. And then he asks them a question to get them to think about what they really think about God. He's getting them now to think, what do I really think about this God? And he asks, do you seriously think God ignores his children? Do you seriously think that God does not hear your prayers? Is that what you seriously think? Do you think that he doesn't care for you? The ones that I'm going to go to the cross for you. The ones that he has loved from eternity past. Is that what you seriously think when you pray to God? He's not listening. He doesn't care. No. Jesus says, keep on praying. Why? Because prayer develops faith. And it develops our reliance on God and not ourselves. One way or other, God does and will answer your prayers. I see Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, is stressing upon us here this evening the importance and the value of persevering in prayer. No matter what your plight is. So he's asking us seriously, Is anything impossible for God? Now we know how easy it is to start something, don't we? This year, once again, I have started and determined myself to read through the Bible in a year. Doing so far so good. I'm now at the start of March. I think I've made it as far as May and give up. So you, 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 you may be at the start of January, all these cliches. You start something, you want to go to the gym, you get the kit. You get the trainers, you look at the part, and you go to the gym, and it's brilliant after a week. And then, you go less, and you go less. Well, it's easy to start something, isn't it? But, it's hard to keep something going. You're maybe saying to yourself, after hearing something like this this evening from God, I need to really ignite my prayer life. I need to get my prayer life sorted out. So you start praying for something. Starting's the easy part, isn't it? Our prayer life, unfortunately, is like one of those old spinning tops. Okay? You're all of the age here. You know what I'm talking about. Okay? So it's one of those spinning tops that you got for Christmas and thought it was the greatest thing with that lovely sound that irritated the life out of everybody. The whiz. And you pump, and you pump, and you pump energy into it. And it goes, and it goes, and you leave it, and you've put so much energy and emphasis into it. But then what happens? 
the energy is lost out of it and it falls. It starts off really well. Then it slows and it slows and it slows and it falls over. That's the same idea with oftentimes something we're praying about. We start praying for something with real zeal. And you write it down in paper and all the rest. But as time goes on, the answer just doesn't seem to be coming. Because we live in a world, and because of our fallen nature now, we need things yesterday. We need things now. We don't like it if something seems to be going slow. We hate it when we have to wait for something. And so we lose momentum. And we might even begin to doubt that God's even hearing us. What we're praying for doesn't seem to be coming. It might never happen. Do you know what? I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop praying for that. Spurgeon once said that prayer is a good thermometer of our walk with God. And every other book that I read, I try to read a, a, a biography. And I recently read a biography of a guy, and I really recommend this book, Peter Verbrand. If you haven't read it, Tortured for Christ, read it. And I couldn't help thinking when I was you know, thinking about this parable, that when Peter Verbrand was put into solitary confinement, listen, for three years, he was in solitary confinement under the communist oppression. I'd say if you put a spiritual thermometer under his mouth, it would have hardly moved from a hundred. Such was the resolve of this man. And in his story, it tells you what sustained him, what kept him going, what kept his faith alive in the realization that when, in, when he prayed, there was someone else present with him. Prayer sustained that man. Even when they knocked on the door and said, today we're going to do this to you. And they did it. Today we might even shoot you. He kept on praying because he believed in prayer. He knew how important prayer was for his life. You see, there's no sitting on the fence with prayer. You either believe it's important or you don't. There's no middle ground when it's sort of okay. It's either important to your life and that's shown in your prayer life or it's not. There's nothing in between. And our conviction of prayer and our prayer life, and this, this stings, but thank God that it stings and thank God that he's awakened our conscience. If you're not praying too well, well, what's that telling you? Your walk's maybe a bit tepid at the moment. Now, all too often, we think of prayer as a matter of quiet and peaceful contemplation and meditation. Yet, read this parable. And what Jesus is telling us this, he's saying prayer's difficult. That's what he's telling us here. It's difficult. And Jesus can never, ever be accused of sugarcoating the Christian walk. Ever. And he understands our plight. 
Remember, Hebrews tells us we have a great high priest in heaven right now, exalted above everything else, who has walked or walked, who has experienced our nature. He understands you. He does. He understands our plight when it comes to praying. Listen to Hebrews 5 and 7. Listen to this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication. Listen. With loud cries and tears. Jesus agonized in his prayers. Prayer was the battlefield on which our Lord won his victories. And all Jesus shows us is that prayer is a hard and difficult activity. It is. And Satan will do everything in his power to keep you from it. Think about how active Satan must have been the night that our Lord was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just think about this for a moment. Think about how hard he was working against the God-man that night. Planting doubt after doubt after doubt and hopelessness into the mind of our Lord. How do we know this? Well, our Lord was in agony of mind. He was in absolute turmoil. Yet, he got back up onto his feet only after coming off his knees. Satan loves to remind us, doesn't he, of how unworthy our lives are. He will do anything to put us off. He'll show you the size of that problem and he'll keep that in your mind so much that you forget about the magnitude of God. That's how he operates. Satan hates praying Christians. He hates the prayer meeting. He despises it. I tell you why. Because he knows the power of prayer. He knows how dangerous prayers are against his kingdom. He knows how powerful they are. You know the story of Mary, Queen of Scots. Bloody Mary, a wicked queen. Hated and feared the prayers of John Knox more than any English army. Because she knew how powerful prayer was. As you look deeper into this parable, you find that Jesus has something more to tell us about our attitude to prayer. Look at what he think about what he's saying next. Not only will it be difficult, not only is prayer a difficult thing to do, but you'll feel discouragement as well. And Jesus is basically telling us through this woman, now she must have been discouraged. Not getting an answer. Don't know how long this has went on for, but we get it was a long time. Can you imagine the seeds of discouragement that was in her mind? But she kept on going. There'll be many times when you feel like this widow is here. You'll pray and you'll pray and you'll pray and you'll pray and it seems that you're talking to somebody that doesn't hear. It seems that you're talking to yourself. There's no answer coming. And like David in Psalm 22, 
you'll say to yourself, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer me. And by night, but I find no rest. This is a good lesson for us to learn. It's a good lesson for us to take to heart. Because Jesus here in this parable is giving us the correct perspective of prayer. It keeps our expectations in check. And Jesus is simply telling us this, that prayers will be filled with difficulties, but our faith in God and our prayers must endure. The rewards of answered prayer are wonderful. After all, if you're a Christian here tonight, you're now eternally secure because God heard your prayer and he answered you. So you may be discouraged when you pray, but you must persevere regardless through your feelings. Whatever our feelings are, you must keep on praying. Think of this widow. And we are not to judge prayers by immediate answers. When no answer to prayer comes, what do you do? What does Jesus tell us? Keep on praying. After all, we realize here that the judge only answered after a long time has went by. Jesus is telling us that the answer may seem slow at coming. It may appear like God is this selfish judge mindset, ignoring you, not interested. But look what Jesus says. If even this hard-hearted, selfish man was overcome, how much more will the God of love, who loves you, will he not answer you? Is that what you're really thinking? He's saying to us, have faith. Will the judge of all the earth not do what is right by his own when they cry out to him? Of course he will. Of course he will. So Jesus is saying here, have confidence. It seems that God is not answering your prayers. His delays are not to be considered cold and uncaring. He loves you too much for that. What does 1 John 3 and 1 say? See what kind of love the Father has for us. And the kind of love that I spoke about here before is a love that is foreign. It's not of this world. It's divine. It's a love that put his son on a cross. So he may delay. He may not answer. But God has always got a reason why he doesn't answer. We don't like that because we're not in control. God is in control of our futures. We are just to keep on praying. And whatever we are praying for, and there is a delay, there's something else that only when the prayer's answered in God's way, you'll be able to look back and go, oh, that's why. He has always a purpose. God has always, regardless of what it is, he always has a purpose behind both his action and his seemingly inaction for the moment. Listen to what our Lord says in Isaiah 54, 7 and 8. For a brief moment I deserted you, 
But with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Yet through all this difficulty and struggle that we see here, Jesus reminds us that prayer is answered. The widow, this lonely social outcast that people despised and didn't care for, her prayer was answered. Why? Because she persevered even when what she was asking for seemed insurmountable in the eyes of man. She persevered. She battled in prayer and never gave up. Our prayers are only as strong as our faith in God. And James clearly teaches us in this first chapter that we should not expect God to answer. We shouldn't. If we don't believe he will. Spurgeon said, if you believe in prayer at all, expect God to hear you. But God will not hear you unless you have a heart that believes he hears. Have you a need right now? And the answer to that is yes. Because we need God in everything that we do. Each one of us has a need. It's your need. It's specific to you. Then bring it to God in prayer, believing that he cares and he hears and he's listening and he will answer in his way and in his time. Is there something bothering you? The answer to that is yes, there is. Bring it to God. He, he wants you to. He's, he's basically, give it to me. Leave all your requests and burdens at his feet. Our Lord, as we have just heard, he battled in his prayers. He did his fighting and conversation with his father. And he often went into prayers as we do, angry and annoyed and upset and agitated. We do the same. But isn't it wonderful that if you have went into a prayer with God and you're, you're, you've just poured out your soul, you have cried out to God and bore everything to him, isn't there just something wonderful that when you've finished that prayer, there's a release. There's something supernatural about prayer. There's something there that when you speak to God, you're connected and he hears you. But be warned, God isn't a genie in a bottle. If your prayer life has been tepid over the past while, and you haven't been maybe conversing with God the way that you should be. Don't just expect God to jump for you. He will. He's a gracious God. But he's not a genie in a bottle just to do what you want him to do only when you want him to do it. Look at verse 7. This is why I say this. Because verse 7 tells us that if you are a Christian, 
then one of the greatest distinctive marks of a Christian is a prayer life. Is there something that needs, it's, it, it, it is, it's something that needs cultivated. It's something that needs worked on. It, it's not something that needs long, laborious sentences and you finish your prayer 10 minutes later. You know, God's not interested in, in how you sit. He's not interested in where you pray. Do you know what he wants? Simply for you to pray. That's it. You can read books about prayer. You can listen to sermons about prayer. But do you know how to pray? Is by praying. That's the best way to learn how to pray. By simply praying. And he wants us to believe that he will answer just as this widow was answered. And when he does answer, as Cooper, or Cooper reminds us, it brings blessings from above. Jesus told us this parable so that we persevere in prayer. No matter how big, no matter how insurmountable, no matter how impossible we think it is, what we can see with our earthly eyes, we can be powerless. But I prayed earlier, God's power knows no boundaries. And it is to that God that we should be praying. And it is that God that wants us to pray without ceasing. And as this last prayer reminds us, look at it. This is a wake up for all Christians. It implies that when the Lord returns, and he is coming, could be whenever. Will there be much faith? Some people believe that we're going to end in a golden age. I can't find that in the Bible. But what the Bible tells me is this is going to get worse for us. You can see it already. You can see it before your eyes. And it seems to be that faith is going to diminish. Do you know the only way to keep the faith? Keep on praying. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that You want us to come to you. The one who is in complete and utter control of everything. Past, present, present and future. The one who is outside of time. The one who created time. The one who knows. It's not new or will know. The one who knows. Knows everything about each of us knows our plights, knows our concerns, knows when we don't bring those things to you. You're the one that's crying, bring them to me so that I can start to work in your life now. Give me your concerns. Give me your petitions. Give me your praise. I love to hear praise. Come to me. Cast your cures on me. Let me help you carry this burden. I'll be with you in that trial. But bring it to me. That's the God that we pray to. And we give you thanks for this. In Christ's name, amen.